Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Good morning. Can I want to say, if you're visiting with us, I apologise in advance. <laughs> we don't normally do this, have me and my wife up here sharing together. We normally have a pretty normal service, but this is not normal, what's about to happen. Um, but we're going to... Not always. Now, so I, two weeks ago, I started this series called The Neighbours App, where I talked about love, encouraging and restoring relationships. And then last week, we had our principal here, Dr. Sue Starling, and she talked about, she called it, When It Seems Impossible. And that was really about being a godly parent. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot out of that. I thought it was really interesting for those that have seen that. And if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to get online and have a look. Just how sometimes when kids are going nuts, it's okay. Because their brain's developing. But it was really good the way that, that uh, Dr. Starling shared that. And this week, I've called the message as we continue in this series that we're doing on relationships. I've called it the True Love App. Uh. I mean, look at that lovely couple. What could possibly go wrong? Two words. Father Christmas. Father Christmas. We broke up over Father Christmas. It's true. We were really getting to that pointy end of, are we going to marry each other? We were quite clinical about this. You know, it wasn't, didn't, wasn't a full surprise thing. We were trying to work this through. Are we going to do this? And there was, a, there was something we just couldn't get our... We just couldn't agree on, and it was Father Christmas. I wanted my kids to hear about Father Christmas, because when I was a kid, I had that, and I thought that was lots of fun. And my wife did not. I don't know if there's little kids in here today. Maybe there are, and I don't want spoilers. So, but basically, my, my wife felt, my future potential wife did not like the idea of me sharing Father Christmas. So we broke up for about six hours? No. <laughs> Three hours. Three hours, we went and saw our pastor, we were devastated, saw our pastor. Anyway, once we determined that we weren't going to let Father Christmas get in the way of our marriage, <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, I asked her parents and they said, are you sure that's a good idea? And I remember I'm at a phone booth when they still existed. And they'd obviously been on the phone. Sally had been talking to them saying, we've just broken up, we've just broken up. And Sally shuddered. And so they're thinking, I'm thinking you've just broken up. And you're ringing us to say, can you marry her? And I said, no, 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 it's all good, it's all good. Like, we're, you know, we'll work out. Father Christmas, we'll, we'll sort him out later. Like, don't worry about that. And I said, I actually said, I think something along the lines of, no, I'm certain, I want to do this. And so they gave me their blessing. I, I proposed. She said yes. Um, we got married about 11 months later. So far, I'm correct. You'll know if I'm wrong. You asked me to Then the battles 
then the battle started to ramp up. It all came down pretty much, I think, to who's right. Like, we both think we're right. Um, two cholerics. And it was all about who's going to surrender, like who's going to cave in first. But you know what? We had to sort through all that stuff. We, we had to work on it and work on it. And we've slowly, I think over the years, well now, we fully understand each other. We know where each other's coming from. But it was hard. And today, however, I look back at that time and I think, gee, like, I'm glad we didn't give up on it. Yeah. You know, now things are great. Do we stir each other up? Yes but that's how we like it. Um, and the important thing is we also forgive each other quickly. You know, we forgive each other. Next year, 25th wedding anniversary. It's quite a miracle in itself, some may say. So is today about how, how good Josh is as a husband and you should be like Josh? No, definitely do not be like me. I am complex, I am imperfect, I am a very annoying individual. Don't try to be like me. <laughs> but what it today is about is I want to look at what the Bible teaches husbands to do, just briefly, and later Sally's going to give her perspective. But I'm really just, in my little bit of this, I just want to talk to the blokes. And maybe the young blokes as well, potential future husbands. And the Bible makes it clear that husbands have particular responsibilities and so we're going to look at just one today and what we want to look at what I think is a husband's greatest responsibility. Now I've seen many Christians interpret the scriptures in, in what I think is the wrong way and it results in husbands thinking that their responsibility is to be the boss, that their responsibility is to dominate their wife to control them and to demand total obedience. And I want to put it out there, I don't believe to any extent that that's what God intended for marriage. The Bible does say that wives um, should submit to their husband as to the Lord. And unfortunately, I'm not, I don't have time to go through that part of it today. But I want to assure you, that looks nothing like bossing, controlling, demanding or dominating behaviour. That's actually about a husband being the spiritual, um, taking spiritual responsibility in the home. Nothing to do with controlling their wife. God's word clearly states we're all equal in the eyes of God. In Galatians 3, it says, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The teaching of the New Testament clearly shows that women are to be respected, revered and treated as equals. But sadly, some husbands don't do this. And as I said before, instead, they do things that actually degrade their wives um, by neglect or their insensitive and abusive treatment or they control them and try to treat them like a slave. So husbands, what is our greatest responsibility then? I hope you're ready for it. I've put it down to three words. Love your wife. That is your greatest responsibility, I believe. In Ephesians 5, Paul gives some marriage advice. And in 5.21, he says, And further, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. And in verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. And basically what it means is husbands, we should be taking the lead in the area of love. Lead by loving. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That is our key responsibility. And that is a tough act to follow if you think of Christ's love. It is such a sacrificial love. If you think about it, everything that Christ did on earth was for us. Earlier in my marriage, we're talking when I'm in my 20s, a bit over 20 odd years ago, Sally was a complete mystery to me. I found myself saying, usually when she wasn't around, um, what is she on about? Like, what the heck? I don't understand her at all. What more can I do? I mean, here's the situation. I'd work all day. I'd bring in good money. I had a good job in the education department. So she can do whatever she wants, basically. She can go buy lots of nice clothes. She can get, we were going on overseas holidays. She has this library full of books. And if you know her, books matter. I take her out to restaurants, not anymore, but back then, two or three nights a week when we didn't have kids. I regularly take her to the movies. Again, not anymore. I show her I love her because by providing all these wonderful things for her, there's so many things I do, and yet she'd say to me, She'd look me in the eyes and say, do you love me? I'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? After all I've done, you have the audacity. This is what I'm thinking. I'm not saying this to her. <laughs> and it took me some time to realise that she would have swapped all her clothes, not all of them, she needs some, but... Most of her clothes, her holidays, her books, maybe not the books, but most of the things and all the nights out for me just to hold her hand. And I overlooked that because I don't like holding hands. I think it's definitely overrated. Does anyone agree with me? No. Okay. That's fine. It's just me. See, I told you, don't be like Josh. I was trying to please Sally by giving her gifts when gifts were not that important to her. She likes gifts, but there are things that she wanted more. She just wanted to be loved, and she wanted me to lead in the area of love. She wanted to know that I was, that she was my number one after God. And I learned that if husbands want, to, want their wives to feel loved, they need to find out what makes them feel loved because every woman is complex I mean unique <laughs> Gary Chapman in the book I'm sure many of you have seen this book or certainly the women will have anyway the five love languages many have seen this and it summarizes the five main why five main ways that we can show love to our wives and, and to our husbands, of course. But I'm looking at it from a husband's point of view. And, and the first one of these is called words of affirmation. And that's basically words that build the spouse up. So, you know, Sally has provided me with um, examples that I was able to use, such as, you're such a good wife. 
Um, but you can't do it sarcastically like that. It has to be <laughs> heartfelt. I'm so glad I married you. And you have to look her in the eye and say it genuinely. And if I had a million women to choose from, I'd still choose you. So those sort of things, you know, that really just build the person up. But it's got to be genuine. And girls, women are really good at picking it when you don't mean it. The second one of these is quality time. And this means focusing on her. You know, some guys may be surprised to know that, you know, watching the football while your wife is ironing is not quality time. <laughs> so what is quality time? Well, for Sally, it's really simple. It's just listening to her talk. In our 20s, again, we're both working. We'd get home from work. Sally would be quite frustrated. Um, She'd be pouring out her heart. She'd be letting me know some of the issues of the day. They were minor issues, but they were the issues of the day. There was lots of detail, very few pauses, quite long-winded, really. Um, so when I could finally get a word in, like I'm, I'm trying and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, but no, there's no pause. But when I finally got a word in, Rather than say something like, how are you feeling now? Because I knew that would trigger another long-winded, high-detailed response. I would say, I'd try to just give her some advice. I'd just give her a solution. I'd say, you know, because I really wanted, why don't you just do this? Because I thought this will end the conversation. But she'd just get really frustrated with me. And, you know, I was thinking, what's the point of this? If she, I've, She's come to me with a problem. Here's the solution. She's not going to take my advice. This is pointless. And when I actually told her that, she just said to me, you know what? You, you always just want to give me advice. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I do. I want this thing to end. Like, <laughs> you've come with a problem. I'm giving you a solution. But I realised eventually that she didn't want my advice. She didn't want a solution. She's actually much smarter than me. She knows what to do. She just wanted to talk to me about it. It was quality time to her, just us sitting down talking about things. Give gifts. Number three, by gifts I mean something your wife really wants and not something that you think your wife might like, but if she doesn't like it, you'll take it anyway. Something of meaning to her, and I've got a couple of things on the board here. So on the left, I gave Sally that little parachute man as a gift. And straight away, she loved it. <laughs> because she knew what I was on about. Because I'd bought her a skydive. So she'd always said to me, one day, I really want to skydive. I want to jump out of a plane. So I brought that home. And when I gave her that, it triggered... Uh, I know what this is about. And I remember the smile on her face. She actually said when she did it, it was actually quite boring, which is strange because there's no way I'd be doing that. But she said, yeah, it wasn't that fun. But she loved the thought that went behind it. I then bought her tickets to this thing called Hamilton, whatever that is. And she went there last week with Danielle. You can see that in Melbourne. Um, I'd say it's overrated. But... She really wanted to see this thing and she's been wanting to do this for so long. So it was great 
to be able to send her over there for a couple of days. Um, and she's still, I think, glowing from that. But again, it's, it's getting things for the spouse that they really want. Acts of service. And this is doing the things that you know your, your wife would like you to do. And in most cases, this means do more chores. <laughs> My wife likes it when I cook, so I've been trying to do more of the cooking. Um, it used to be that I didn't do any of the cooking because I would be the one going to work each day and she was the one staying at home, and so she would... With the children. With the children, yes. Not just staying at home, living the good life. <sighs> Although I did wonder what you did. No, no, no. no. <laughs> We'll edit that bit out later, I think. But, no, she, this wife, this wife of mine never stops working. She is, she works a lot. Um, but really what I was trying to say is don't, it's really important, I think, that us guys don't guess what it is that our wives want us to do. I think we should actually just ask and say, what can I do to help? And generally, I think you'll get an answer. Um, and the, the challenge is that whatever the answer is, you then have to go ahead and do those things. So don't ask if you're not prepared to do it. And the last of these is physical touch. And physical touch can be so powerful. This is Sally's primary or main love language. She loves this. Without it, she thinks I'm horrible. With it, she feels secure that I love her. And that's, we're talking just holding hands, hugging, just me even doing this, like. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. I'm like, whatever, okay. Is it true? Yeah. <laughs> See, it's just weird. Not that was a little creepy. Oh, that was a bit creepy. <laughs> Maybe in a less creepy sort of way. Um, so maybe husbands don't do that unless, what I'd suggest maybe is that you, you actually just find out what that means for your wife, like what is it they're looking for. So in conclusion, as I said, I'm only sharing a bit of this, but my challenge to the guys today is I believe that God has put this responsibility on the shoulders of the husbands to lead in the area of love. And the only way we can do that is we need to know what what our wives want. And if you don't know your wives' love languages, if those five things we've briefly discussed today, if you don't know what it is that your wife's looking for, ask. It's pretty simple stuff. The more I believe that we husbands love our wives, as Ephesians 5.25 says, the more that we put this into practice, I actually believe we are more likely to have healthier marriages. I'm now going to hand over to Sally. Thank you. Yep. My turn. <laughs> no, I actually agree with what he said because that was our experience. It was very challenging in those early years and like he said in particular I really struggled like I would I don't know that you quite put the emotion into it. I would look at him and I would say do you even love me? Like that's, that's kind of how I would say that. And that was a fairly regular thing that I would say to him because I couldn't understand why he never wanted to hold my hand in public or 
seemingly want to touch me anywhere that anyone, you know, in any public setting. And so when I read that book, The Five Love Languages, it changed everything for me because it helped me understand that he was actually showing me his love, but he was doing it in a way that made sense to him. His primary love language is acts of service. And so that's what he was doing for me. He was doing stuff for me all the time, thinking, like he said, he was showing me his love and giving gifts. He's really good at giving gifts, as you saw by those two awesome gifts. Um, and I loved those gifts and I loved the acts of service, but they didn't look like a romantic love to me. They just look like something you do for someone that's nice. Um, and so that was a really big deal for me. So once I understood that acts of service was his love language, I could interpret him putting the bins out on a wet night as love. I could interpret him paying the bills and filling up the car with petrol as an act of love. On the flip side, it helped me also realise that I was actually smothering him with my love. Um, because I naturally showed him love through touch. And as he's clearly expressed now and on previous occasions, he does not like physical displays of touch. So I would be touching him all the time and I'd be um, also smothering him with words like, I love you, I love you. I'd say that all the time, every day. Um, how great I thought he was, how handsome he was. And, you know, it just drove him crazy. You know, a little bit of that, like once a month, maybe, maybe once a month you can handle, maybe. Um, <laughs> And so that was a real challenge for me, is to realise that by me showing him love, I was actually frustrating him and turning him off. So I needed to, it wasn't that he disliked me, he just disliked that method. Um, and so he far preferred that I would do things like acts of service. So like making him a cup of tea or giving him a massage or ironing a shirt or doing something like that for him, which I was like, oh, can't I just give you a hug? Like that'd be a lot easier. Those things are so much work and so much effort. And I guess in his mind, that's why they showed love, because it was actually putting some time in. So I actually learnt to use that to my advantage. You know how he talked about how I like to talk, and anyone who knows me will know that I like to talk, is I figured out if I gave him a massage while I was talking, he would listen for a really, really long time without complaining. It's true, isn't it? It's Okay, well, it's still my technique today. I mean, that's how I got him to watch Hamilton on Disney Plus, was I offered him a massage the entire time. It was a win-win-win, right? <laughs> anyway, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. You know, I think you can, on a straight reading of that passage, it sounds like, well, if you like hugs, give other people hugs. But what it's really saying is, consider other people the way you like to be considered, just the way you want people to, to interact with you and show love to you in a way that makes sense to you, then we should do the same thing for other people. Really think about what's going to make them feel loved. And that applies not just in marriages, but in every relationship. So as Josh said, if you haven't already, I encourage you to figure out what is your spouse's love language and then try and make sure that you're showing love in a way that makes sense to them. So understanding his love language and my love language was really key for us in our marriage. Um, and another thing that really helped me early on was understanding about personality styles. A book that really helped me was called Personality Plus by Florence Lashower. Has anyone else read Personality Plus? Okay, like a few people. Um, he, she talks about there being four different personality styles. First of all, you've got the sanguine, who's the life of the party, an extrovert, very talkative. They usually have lots of friends. Um, a melancholy, and I apologise about the names. These are based off names that were made up in before Jesus' time. Um, so these are very old-fashioned terms, so don't 
don't take the words too seriously. But a melancholy is a serious, sensitive, analytical, um, they're very organised and a perfectionist. They can be artistic or musical, and often your geniuses actually come out of this category. Cholerics are leaders, they're strong-willed, confident, independent and goal-orientated. And phlegmatics are relaxed, easygoing, pleasant, steady and good under pressure. Now, I know a lot of people, when they hear about personality styles, they're like, I'm not in a box, don't put me in a box. And that's true. Nobody is 100% in one personality style. If you do the test, you usually find you get some score in the other boxes as well. But most people are predominantly one or two of these. I've got a chart to show you, which I find helps. It's a little bit small, I do apologise, but um, just helps you find that relationship between the different personalities. For example, both the cholerics and the sanguines are leading, are leaders, um, and both the phlegmatics and melancholics are very good at analysing things. Um, if you look down the side, you'll see that the cholerics and the melancholies are very task-orientated, where the, where the sanguines and the phlegmatics are very people-orientated. And if you look at the diagonals that go across, you can see that the sanguines and the melancholies are both artistic and emotional, whereas the cholerics and phlegmatics are unemotional and strong-willed. So understanding a little bit more about these personality styles really helped me because I realised that Josh was a choleric. Like 100, no, I guess no one's 100%, but as close as you can be, he is like in that choleric box. That describes him to a T. Um, whereas I'm a combo, I'm definitely a choleric as well, but I'm also a sanguine. And so it was really useful for me in a couple of ways. One is it highlighted our differences. For example, that he as a choleric is unemotional, but the sanguine part of my personality is extremely emotional, so we're the opposites in that. Um, but in the areas that we're the same, we're both, both very, very strong-willed. And we always think we're right. The other thing that really helped me too was realising that he's not the only one that is like that. Um, I would just sort of assume that he was just a bit strange or a bit different, um, but I realised there's a whole bunch of people, thousands, millions, probably even billions of people in the world that have those same personality traits as him. And also that I wasn't unusual for being emotional or the way that I was, that was how God had made me and there was lots and lots, millions, potentially billions of other people in the world that were sanguine cholerics like me. It also helped me understand that, I'm just going to use the unemotional thing as an example, but that when he was being unemotional, it didn't mean he was being unkind or cold. That was just his personality. That I was interpreting because for me, emotion showed caring. A lack of emotion didn't mean he didn't care. It just meant he didn't express it the same way. And so the key understanding for me was that he was different not wrong. And also that I was different, not wrong. That was just our personalities. If you're interested in this book, I actually looked online and you can get it on the SA Libraries app for free. You can just download it. We can get it on the Libby app. We can go to the library and get a physical copy of the book. Or you can even buy it for like 20 bucks from most bookstores. It's a really worthwhile read because not only does it explain the personality styles, it also explains how to live with someone who is the other personality style or work with them or even have them as children. So it's a really great book and I definitely recommend it. You know, we have this image going into marriage that it is going to be fun, it's going to be exciting, it's going to be loving, you're going to feel supported and encouraged. And the reality really is that you've got two people with different personalities, different genders, different love languages, different worldviews, different values, different experiences, different expectations, um, different um, 
sins and you stick them in the same house together, there's going to be challenges. Hopefully, yes, you will have those fun, exciting, good, encouraging, supportive times, but you're also going to have frustration and annoyance and irritation because you're different, because you have different flaws and because you see the world differently. And as Josh said, that was certainly our experience. We got very frustrated and annoyed with each other, especially in those early days. So I would do what a good Christian should do. I prayed. I prayed that God would fix my husband and sort him out and make him how I wanted him to be. It's really weird having me sitting there. Like just <laughs> Surprisingly, God didn't answer my prayer the way I expected him to. He didn't sort of wave a magic wand and miraculously make Josh exactly what I thought he should be. Instead, the main thing God showed me was that I actually couldn't change Josh. That was God's job. All I could do was, with God's help, change me. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, that since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And it was this kind of attitude that God was challenging me to have, an attitude of patience, of humility, of forgiving and making allowance for faults. Now I do just, before I, I want to explain this passage a little bit more, but before I do, I do want to give a disclaimer. If there is abuse, addiction, unfaithfulness in a marriage, then there is a whole other level of stuff that you need to deal with. Like, number one, you need to talk to someone, you need to get godly counsel, you need to make sure you and any children you have are safe. That is 100% the most important thing. Um, and in that case, you know, these sort of steps are probably not really relevant until those other things are dealt with. So I just want to make that as a, a clear point. You just loving and being kind and gracious is not going to fix those things. You do need to get some godly help and support and advice for that. Okay, so in my marriage, over a period of time, God challenged me to do a whole bunch of things, but I want to talk about three of the things that he encouraged me to do. The first one was to accept Josh for who he is. Part of this was really working hard to understand who he was, understanding his personality, his love languages, the things that were important to him. A big part of this was also letting go of those expectations that I had for him. Because, you know, if you have expectations... Like they have to do so much just to even get to your bare minimum. They have to do like a million, you know, heaps more to be able to even get any credit. Whereas if you just let go of those expectations and anything they do is a bonus. It really changes your attitude. I know it did for me. Part of this was also recognising that when he hurt my feelings, it was nearly all the time unintentional. You know, Josh shouldn't wake up in the morning and think, oh, how can I ruin Sally's day today? How can I make her cry? You know, that was not his intention. And that was not my intention with him. I didn't try to upset him or annoy him or irritate him. That's not my heart. And that wasn't his heart. The irritation was happening because we didn't understand each other. Um, accepting Josh for who he was didn't mean that I had to be quiet or pretend like everything was okay if he, you know, accidentally hurt me or upset me. 
But instead of yelling at him in the heat of my emotion, one of the things I really tried to do and I continue to try to do, I don't always get this right, but I try to take myself out of the situation. Go to my room, have a good cry, have a good pray, tell Jesus exactly how I'm feeling and how annoyed I am at Josh. And then when I calm down, God will speak to me and say, I think you're overreacting or whatever. And, and he'll talk me through it and I just get calm. And then I can go back and talk to Josh calmly, rationally, without tears and yelling and all that kind of thing. And I find that often resolves a lot of the issues. And sometimes I don't even have to go back to him. I just have to get the emotion out to God and then I'm like, I'm okay. But if I want to talk to him, I can talk to him in a calm way. It says in Philippians 1 verse 6 that I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I remember reading this and thinking, this applies not just to me, but also applies to Josh. And God is not going to finish fixing Josh until Jesus Christ returns. And if God can't finish fixing him until Jesus come back, what hope do I have of doing it any sooner? Josh is Josh. God has made him that way. He's not perfect because of sin. I'm not perfect because of sin. We're never going to have a perfect marriage where we get it right every time. But that's okay because we keep going back to God and we keep asking for his help. And as Josh said, we just get good at forgiving each other. So we need to accept them, understand them and pray God's blessing on them. The second thing God really challenged me to do was to look for the good. It was so easy for me to look for the negatives. It was so easy for me to pick fault with everything Josh did. Um... But God really challenged me to look at all the positives. And when I shifted that mindset, I was a bit overwhelmed actually by how many positives I saw, things that I'd just taken for granted. Um, but when I started to say, wow, look at all the things he does for me. Look at the way he treats me. And I've seen how other husbands treat their wives. I am so blessed to have a husband like him. For example, I mentioned him being unemotional. Once I looked for the positives in that, I could see that what that enabled him to do was make really good decisions, good, rational, well-thought-through decisions that weren't clouded by emotional feelings, like my decisions often were. And so I found I began to rely very heavily on him when I made decisions because I'd be all caught up in my emotion. I'd be like, what do you think? And I've really appreciated that over the years. And I know many of you have come to him as well and asked him for advice for that same reason because he can just cut through and just go, let's just put all that aside. What's the best thing to do in this scenario? So I began to really respect that about him. If you're having trouble finding the good in your spouse, I encourage you just pray. Say, God, show me, open my eyes. Help me to see and appreciate even just the littlest things that they do. And finally, God challenged me that I need to focus on changing me. I had to ask him to show me where my personality attitudes or behaviours were frustrating or annoying Josh. And then I had to apologise where I'd hurt or disrespected Josh and then ask God to help me change. I know Josh mentioned a couple of weeks ago how I'm really bad at being on time. And I know this. I know this. And it really bothers me that I, it bothers him so much. Like, I don't want to be late. Um, and I do try really hard. I continue to fail at it, though. I continue to be late and I apologise to every single person that I've apologised to for being late all the time. Um, but, you know, I've got to keep working on it. I can't just give up. I've just got to keep saying, OK, God, help me. Help me to get organised earlier. Help me to be better at being on time. You know, when I took the focus off trying to change Josh and instead focused on being grateful for him and focusing on how I could be a good wife, my whole attitude to our marriage changed. Like, it really changed and I actually enjoyed being married 
a whole lot more. And I'm guessing you probably enjoyed it a lot more too when I stopped. Well, I still pick fault, but I pick fault less. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it made me realise we didn't have to have that perfect marriage. We didn't have to always be in sync or always think the same ways. It was okay for us to be different. It was good being different. And as Josh said, we do still drive each other crazy and we still butt heads a lot. But most of the time we try and just focus on the positives, try and have a laugh and actually just enjoy life and have fun together. Could I get the band to come up? My challenge to each of you here today who are married is this, is to ask God to help you accept your spouse for who they are. Look for the good and thank God for those things and ask God to show you where you can change. You know, it's impossible to do this in our own strength. And the only reason we can do it is, the answer is in that scripture I read to you earlier in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, and also says, remember, the Lord forgave you. We can't do this in our own strength. We can only do this with God's help. Because he chose us, he loved us, and he forgave us. Because he was patient and he was kind with us. And he can give us the strength to show that same love and kindness and forgiveness to our spouse, even if they're being really annoying. So as we have a time of worship, I want to encourage you, thank God for the love and acceptance that he has shown you and ask him to help you show that same love and acceptance to your spouse. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.